0: If we could, let's open our Bibles to the book of Ruth. last week we started Ruth, this four chapter book and it's such a wonderful book of redemption and of friendship of uh, that there are so many themes in this in this book uh, it's really quite amazing for such a small book. It's packed with all kinds of things for us to learn from it and to glean from it. And I say glean with uh, tongue-in-cheek because pun was intended when I said glean, and you'll understand why when we get into it. But if you recall, um, Naomi, who is the mother-in-law of Ruth, she uh, originally, she and her husband Elimelech, they came from Bethlehem. So they were from Judah. And it says in in chapter one that there was a famine in the land, and and it says that they went to Moab, which Moab is a perennial enemy of Israel, had been from the very beginning since Israel came into the promised land. They were um, really given a lot of grief by the, the people of Moab. And if you remember, Moab and Ammon were those two people groups that dwelt on the east side of the Jordan River. And they were also the brothers of uh, Moab and Ammon. they were the brothers of uh, of uh, they were brothers and they were sons of Lot, and they were given birth uh, through his two daughters. so these two young men were uh, born of incest actually and um but in the process of time, they began to really create problems for the, for the children of Israel, even to the point of, of harassing them uh, in their way to the promised land. And, uh, and so we find now, um, much later in time, we find during the time of the judges, we find Ruth, or we find, I'm sorry, Naomi, and we find her husband and their two sons leaving Bethlehem during a, a famine and going to Moab. And and notice in the scripture that it doesn't say that they were to go. You remember in Matthew chapter 2, there was a time when God told Joseph in a dream, now take Mary and your son, Jesus, take them to Egypt. It was a specific directive, and there was a purpose behind it, and they were there for a short period of time, until Herod had died. But you'll notice that in chapter one here, especially in the first five verses, there's no mention of God telling them to go there. They went there of their own volition, actually, and I believe they went there in disobedience because God didn't tell them to go. And there's so many other people in Bethlehem that evidently had stayed, you know, you know kind of going through the famine and going through those things. And in the process of time, as they get down there into Moab, Naomi loses her husband. We don't know how she, he, he died, but he dies in Moab. And then the two sons, Malon and Chilion, they decide that since they are now in Moab, they were there for 10 years, actually. They decide to get married to two Moabite women, which was a no-no to begin with. And, um, and so... Uh, the 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 two sons after they're married at some point they both died too so now ruth who's a widow has two daughters-in-law that are now widows themselves and you recall that uh after naomi had heard that the that the famine was over in in bethlehem she decides to go back her two daughters-in-law decide we'll go back with you and um or that they go with her, and then Naomi turns around at some point early in the journey and told them to go home, you know, to not come. Um, And you recall that Naomi really had kind of an Eeyore complex. She was a very, very, um, the the clouds were dark. Remember that uh, Peanuts character who always had the cloud over his head and is always raining and thundering and lightning? Well, that was Naomi's heart and her attitude. And um, so she was really down on herself and thinking that God was doing all of these things. And, and really, if you think about it, uh, I don't know how much God, God allowed these things, but they, they really were walking out of diso- in, in disobedience, walking out of Bethlehem, the house of bread, even though it was going through a famine, and going to a place that God had never told them to go. And whenever you step out of the will of God, you're always on dangerous ground. You're always on dangerous ground when you step out of the will of God. So it's important when we make decisions in life like they made to really bathe it in prayer. And God is able, trust me, he is able to change your direction at any time through various means, various circumstances. He's done it in my own life. And so rest in him. Trust him. And bathe those things, especially those monumental life-changing decisions. Don't take them Uh, easily, and and certainly don't uh, treat them lightly. Everything should be, we should pray about everything, even the small things, but especially the big things, especially everything. That's why Paul would say, pray without ceasing. We should pray without ceasing. And it doesn't mean you have to close your eyes when you're driving your car. You can do that. Your insurance company might not like it. But I, I pray often with my eyes open. In fact, sometimes you'll look up at me while even beginning the service, and I'll have my eyes wide open. Because if I close my eyes, I might get tired. And sometimes it just doesn't do me any good to close my eyes. Sometimes I have to to focus, right? But you know what you need to do. So anyway, they, Naomi discourages the two daughters-in-law from coming back with them. The one daughter... She decides, um, Oprah is her name, Orpah, she decides, okay, I'm going to listen to my mother-in-law. I'm going back to my own gods, my, my pagan idolatry. And um, But Ruth clung to Naomi. She says, I will not leave you. And she has one of the greatest things here in verse 16 and 17 of chapter 1, this great declaration of her love. Where you go, I'll go. I'll stay where you stay. Where you're buried, I'm going to be buried. Your people are going to be my people. I am not going to leave you. She was devoted. Her heart was very different than her sister-in-law's, Orpah. So when Naomi discovers that she can't really dissuade her, she lets her come with her. And and so that's really where... And, and then Naomi and Ruth, they go into Bethlehem, and Naomi is just really down on herself. Again, the Eeyore complex. Woe is me. God has done this to me. All those bad things have happened because God is... He doesn't love me anymore. And, you know, just always... just I mean, you read it. You can read it. And you can just see she's just, give me a break. <laughs> have you ever been around somebody who's like... That's really where their heart is at. And, you know, I think we all go through that at times, but, you know, um, but it's unfortunate uh, when we do because we just get into a pity party and we, we start pitying our, ourself and it, it doesn't lead to anything good for us, not at all. But I said something last week that I want to correct because I made a comment that, um, that the children of Israel that they were not forbidden to intermarry with the people of Ammon and Moab. Um, I had made a mention of it that they were certainly enemies, and they, and they certainly are. And we looked at some passage of Scripture that that um, that specifically talked about nations and people groups that the children of Israel were to remain separate from, and they were to remain separate from the nations, the pagan nations that they were going to dispossess. And specifically what I'm talking about is in Deuteronomy 20, verses 16 through 18. But in that passage, it says that the Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, that they were not to That they were to, when they go into the land, they were to destroy them all. They weren't to have any relationships with them. Don't worship their gods. Don't intermarry with them at all. But it doesn't mention specifically anything about the Moabites or the Ammonites. And I came across the scripture earlier this week. And so I want to um, go back and make a correction from what I said last week they weren 't necessarily forbidden to marry these these folks, but but they, but they actually were they, they were forbidden and Let me just give you a couple scriptures uh, for that in Ezra chapter nine, uh, the first four verses. This is when Israel came back to Jerusalem from their captivity in Babylon, and notice what it says when these things were done, the leaders came to me came to Ezra. And saying, "...the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with respect to the abominations of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, and the Moabites." the Egyptians, and the Amorites, for they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so that the holy seed is mixed with the peoples of those lands. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and rulers have been foremost in this trespass. And so it was not a very good idea at all. And here is really the prohibition of that. So God did have a problem with them marrying and intermarrying with the Moabites or the Ammonites, although they are not explicitly um, listed in the the chapters in in Deuteronomy chapter 20, but I happen to find this, so I wanted to make that clear, because that is important to know. And again, God's not a racist. Why did God not want them to intermarry? Just as a side note here, because we live in our culture right now, we're going through it right now with the racism and all this stuff that's going on, all the noise. Does God really hate anybody? I mean, does God really look at one race of people and say, I like this race and I don't like that race? No, he does not. But what he does, he doesn't look at skin color. He doesn't look at nationality. You know what God looks at? He looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. That's what we have to remember. He's looking at the heart. What what did it it, it say in, um, you know, uh, well, let me just leave that alone, (laughs) but you know God is not a respecter of persons in that regard he's He always looks at our heart. man looks on the outward appearance because we always do, and that 's one thing that, as Christians, we really got to shed. And we gotta put off that thing, and that is we, we tend to size thing up and size things up in the natural, in the physical, and the things that we can see. We do it every day. We don't mean to do it even sometimes. You look at a certain person at a certain place wearing a certain kind of clothing, and you already have presuppositions about who that person is and their character. Isn't that true? Now, you know, and, and there's um, so we have to be really careful. Because you can never judge a book by its cover. As soon as you judge a book by its cover, you know, that's a very slippery place to go. Because most of the time, much of the time, we can be very, very wrong. Very wrong. And so, so they went into the land. I mean, they did, really did two things. Naomi and Elimelech, they really did two things that really got them off the path of God's will. First, is they went to Moab without evidently not even consulting the Lord. And during this time, remember, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so this was the prevailing feel of the time that we're talking about during the time of the judges, when Ruth was living and alive. There were exceptions, and we're going to see Boaz tonight being one of those exceptions. But for the vast majority of people, they were in spiritual decline, spiritual decline. And the second thing they did was the two young men, they intermarry with the Moabite women, which is exactly one of the things that got them into trouble. You can read Numbers chapter 25, and you can see how um, uh, Balak, the son of Beor, uh, the, king of ba- uh, the king of Moab, how he and Balaam, uh, you, can, you can read about that in Numbers 22 through 25, really. But it was the Moabite women that got him into trouble because uh, they were, uh, they served other gods. They served gods like Chemosh and all kinds of other uh, pagan deities. And so uh, God didn't want his people to be intermingling with people who are rampant sinners. Is it because God hated them? Is it because he looked at their nationality? Was it because he looked at their skin color? If, if there was a difference, probably not. No, he's looking at the people in general. They're, they, they're, they're, they're idolatrous people. And God says, I want you to be separate. Is that such a bad thing for God to say, I want you to be separate? And see, that's what he calls us to be too, right? To be in the world, but not to be of the world. And as the church, we are to be separate. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Isn't that the cry of God to his church? Come out from among the world and be separate. The world has had enough of us. And oftentimes, we bring too much of the world into the church, into our homes, into our ears, into our eyes. Very important that we are separate unto the Lord. Amen? Because there's always a consequence when you think about what happened to Naomi and her two sons, there's always a consequence for rebellion. And be sure that your sin will find you out. It will. You may get away with it for a season. And it says this in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. Be sure your sin will find you out in just a matter of time. God is a God of grace, but we should always Be separate unto him. Be separate unto him. And it's interesting, too, that I find that Naomi, in this first chapter, she really should have been the one, as as one of God's people, she should have been the catalyst of faith behind Ruth. As Ruth was coming out of a pagan environment, she should have been the one to say, you know what, daughters-in-law, Ruth and uh, Orpah, I want to say Oprah, but it's Orpah, it's not a word I use a lot, but Orpah, you two ladies, you've lost your husbands, you've lost my sons. Come with me back to Bethlehem. You can serve my God because my God is the true and living God. He's a great God. He's a wonderful God. But what did they get? Oh, my God is bitter against me. He hates me. Going through a difficult time. And she tries to dissuade them from going. And what are they, what are their, what's their hope of going back to, to Moab? pagan idolatry. It's sure destruction for their souls if they go back. And you know what? Orpah didn't have a problem with that. She wept a little bit and she's like, okay, I'm out of here. But Ruth... The Moabite, she's, there's something different about her. She wants, she really meant what she said in verse 16 of chapter one. And treat me not to leave you, she says, or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. That sounds like a woman who is determined to do what she said she was going to do. She clung to Ruth in great love. And what greater thing? I mean, both of these ladies have lost the men in their lives. Would to God that Orpah would have been there too, clinging to the other leg of, of Naomi. And Naomi saying, ladies, let's go back. Let's, let's live together. Going to need your help finding food. And you know, between the three of us, we can put food on the table. We can survive. Come back. But no, we find Ruth actually being the one with the spiritual pants in the family. We find Ruth, the, the Moabite, the, the, the pagan idolater previously. We find her now being the one that's really the catalyst of the faith. And Naomi just kind of in a dark cloud. The person who was among God's people, God's chosen people. And isn't it true how sometimes it's like that? I've never been more embarrassed than when I've been rebuked by an unbeliever. When I've done something wrong, and I'm doing something, and some person that I know doesn't know the Lord comes up and says, "Didn't Jesus say, blah blah blah?" And it's just like, oh, "Yes, he did." Not in my translation. Uh, that was actually scrubbed out in the you know the uh, the Byzantine codex, or whatever you know. No, it, it's embarrassing to have that happen to us. But sometimes the Lord allows. And he did this too with with Ruth and Naomi. Ruth, this Gentile, she's going to provoke her mother-in-law. And I love what it says in Romans. Paul says... Um, he says, but but I say, did Israel not know? And he said, first Moses says, I will provoke you, speaking of Israel, I'll provoke you, Israel, to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he said, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And so God was even using Ruth, this Moabite, to stir her mother-in-law. And I'm I'm sure Ruth was pure in her heart about it. But in doing so, what does it do to the Jew? What does it do to Naomi at this time? It stirs her up, doesn't it? And we're going to see in chapter 2 tonight that it really does stir her. And she finally breaks out of her pity party. And you start to see the sunshine a little bit from Naomi. Because she starts to see some hope. Because see, there is no partiality with God. He doesn't look upon nations, upon people, and say, you're doomed to destruction just because of your who you are. No, he looks at nations because of their spiritual temperature. Is this nation a, an idolatrous nation? Have they, have they continued for hundreds of years and never repented? Then God acts. But it's not because of skin color. We all came from Adam. Do you understand that? There is enough flexibility and enough variability in the DNA for all of us. All different skin colors, all different backgrounds within our DNA structure. There is enough variability to accommodate all these differences that we see. It's not a big deal. We're from one. We need to remember that. I wish the whole country could, could understand that we, are, we, we should be one. We shouldn't be against each other. No matter who you are, you've got sin issues. It doesn't matter if you're white. It doesn't matter if you're black. It doesn't matter if you're Chinese, Japanese, Indonesian. It doesn't matter who you are. We've all got a problem, and that's sin. And there's one solution for that, and that's Jesus Christ. And that is what ought to unify. And see, in the church, we have that. What a beautiful thing it is. Well, the world could see that. But the world doesn't know that. Or they've been lied to, and they say that the, you know, the, you know, they've been lied to. That's why we have to tell them the truth, right? But let's get into chapter two here. Notice, there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Now, it's interesting, folks, that if you look at Matthew chapter five, Boaz's father, his name is Solomon. So guess who Boaz's mother is? Rahab the harlot from Joshua chapter two. Isn't that wild? So Solomon, remember, Rahab comes to faith. We read about that in Joshua. She comes to faith. She marries Solomon. They have a child and his name is Boaz. And that's the one we're talking about right now. So now this relative of Elimelech, his name is Boaz. And his name means lively or in his strength. And, for, um, and so... Um, So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I might find favor. And she said, go, my daughter. And, you know, whether by Ruth's own understanding or by uh, instruction from Naomi, Ruth, as a poor foreign widow, she goes to glean in the fields of Bethlehem. And, 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 and that's a, she had a lot of things against her, and we'll look at that shortly. But so she was going to glean in the field. And really what that is is going into a field after the reapers have already gone in and plucked all the grain. There's stuff that's left over. It's not completely stripped away of everything. And, in fact, God commanded his people that when they did these things to leave the outskirts, the perimeter, at different spots. Leave that unreaped so that um, people could come in and glean People who are hungry and poor and widows and, and poor people could come in and, and get that stuff and they could live, right? And so that's exactly what we see her doing here. So she ends up, um, and in fact, in Leviticus, you might just want to write this down for the sake of time. I'm just going to read it to you, okay? But in Leviticus chapter 19, beginning in verse 9, this is what the law stipulated for this kind of, uh, the law of, of reaping or the gleaning, the law of gleaning, I'm sorry, It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. And I love that. I love that. So they baked into God's commandments were not only provision for the people who owned the fields, but if they did the right thing and obeyed God, everybody was blessed. And we didn't have welfare systems. <laughs> and they, people could live. People could eat. And in fact, in Deuteronomy 24, it says something a little bit different. It says what we've said, but also adds a little bit. Let me read it to you. Deuteronomy 24, beginning in verse 19, it says, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, like a clump, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger. Notice, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over every, over the bows again. It should be for the stranger, notice, the fatherless and the widow. Do you think God has a heart for the stranger, the fatherless and the widow? He does. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, again, the fatherless and the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this thing." Isn't that wonderful? God's provision. Is God such a mean god? Is he this man up in the sky in the heavens that everybody thinks he's just boy he's just mean. He just wants to strike people. You know, I remember meeting Christians like that. They saw God as this angry despot in the sky who when he didn't get his way, he just threw down lightning bolts on people, just killed people just because just because. That is not the God of the Bible. That is not the God of the Bible. Everything he does, if you read it carefully, there's a reason, and it's all about sin and rebellion. Right? Nod your head. You'll read it. If you haven't read it already, you will know it if you read the Bible. Read the Bible, folks. Read it from cover to cover. Read it as often as you can. Read as much of it as you can every single day. You will be blessed. Even if you don't understand everything, don't worry about that. Get it into your head and your heart, and the wheels will begin to turn. Sometimes days later, oh, I remember that. This happens to me all the time now, and I love it. I love it. I feel like I'm alive, finally. I've been dead for years, it seems, and all of a sudden, I'm just coming to life. And it's because of the word of God. But notice how equitable, how generous God is, even though many don't see it. But God does care for the fatherless. In Exodus chapter 22, beginning in verse 24, he says, You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry out at all to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. (laughs) Your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. So I think God has a special place in his heart. I'm glad because I'm fatherless. I grew up without a father. My father was, I was seven years old, my father died from cancer. So I really grew up in my formative years without a dad. And my mom was working so much that I I grew up, well, I mean, she she did amazing. I mean, she worked three jobs oftentimes. And because so, I didn't see her that whole lot. But I didn't have a father, and I didn't know it at the time, but God was looking out for me. God was my father, and I didn't even know him. I didn't even care to know him, but yet he was keeping an eye out on me, and I know it now. I look back on my life, and I'm so blessed for for what God has done. He he honored this promise in my own life while I yet didn't know him. And maybe you have a similar story. God is so good like that. Notice what it says in verse 3 back in our text. It says, Then she left... Uh, Ruth left, and she went and she gleaned in the field after the reapers. So she did exactly what the law stipulated. And she happened, underline that word happened because you're going to put a little asterisk by it. She just happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. See, this word happened happened is by no accident. Some people will call it a a coincidence. I call it a God incidence. I call this divine providence. How many times were you in the right place at the right time? Was it just coincidence? Or was God guiding and directing you? I can't tell you how many times, and I know you've all got the same story, how many times you were at the right time at the right place And something happened that changed things for you in a very positive direction. You just happened to be, and had you been seconds later or earlier, you would have missed the opportunity altogether. This happens all the time. Does that mean that God is in control? You better believe it. I'm brushing my teeth in the morning. If I take two more seconds brushing that back molar, I could miss something. But you know what? God knows in advance. He's like, I know what that knucklehead's going to do. He's going to brush that molar in the back. But I've got a divine appointment for him today. And I'm going to delay that person because I want them to intersect at this moment at the right time because of this happens all the times. Happen in your life. It's wonderful. Aren't you glad God is in control? Things are chaotic right now, but trust me, God knows all things, and he is very much in control. Thank you very much. He is very much in control. Do not fear, Christian. Things are really awful out, but God knows. It's on his timetable. He's, see, the thing is, he's got a, an unfair advantage he lives outside of time. He's already seen everything as if it's already been done. That's why he can write the book of revelation with 100% accuracy. He can tell us in advance things to come. That is scary. Have you ever thought about the implications of that with all the decisions, the minute little decisions that we make. He's like, "Oh, I can tell you what's going to happen on August 3rd of 2021." Pick a time. AM or PM, pick the millisecond, the nanosecond. I'll tell you exactly what you were thinking, where you were at, and why you were there to begin with, and what I was doing at that moment in your heart. And you'd be like, uh, are you serious? Yes. He is that powerful. He he is that wonderful that he knows. So rest, rest. But you know what? I love uh, just, you know, God is so wonderful in that way. She just happened to come upon the plot of land that belonged to Boaz, who was Elimelech's Kin. We'll look at Kinsman, Redeemer next week as we finish the book. We'll look at chapters three and four, Lord willing. But here, you know, even in Abraham, you know, in Genesis chapter 24, uh, actually, let me go to this one. (laughs) In Hebrews 11, actually, verse 8, it says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he would receive as an inheritance. See, God had called Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldees, which is modern day Iraq. I, you know, Abram was originally a pagan Gentile. And for any, any Jews who are watching this, they're going to be like, ah! say, it's not true. Well, it's true. That's who he was to begin with. God brought him out. And he told him to go. And notice what it says here in Hebrews. And he went out, notice, not knowing where he was going. Is that faith or what? Where am I going, Lord? I'll tell you when you get there. Just get moving, bro. Are you serious? I got all this entourage. I got all these carts and carriages and sheep and camels and family members and wives and everything else. You want me to just go? Yeah, go. Well, where do I go? Just get going. I'll tell you. And I'm sure that night he's like, where am I going? Just keep going. Stop asking questions. Just keep going. God is able, and he is. And he got him right to Canaan where he wanted him to be. I love it. He, he didn't even know where he was going. God just, at, at each step of the way. It reminds me of that verse in Psalm 119. I think it's verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What does that do? A lamp unto your feet. What does that do? It just illuminates just the, the few steps in front of you. And the light unto your path may be a little farther down the road, but you got that light to go to, for the short steps. Where am I going to go? Oh, go five spaces and then take a left. <laughs> and life is like that. God throws us curveballs, we don't even know why certain things have happened in our life. Could it be that God is doing something to get you on the path and on a road to meet somebody that's going to change your life? You're going to meet that spouse that you've been dreaming about, that you've been praying about. But it had to go through a car breakdown on 490 and your car, your axle split right in half on your way to work, on the way to a presentation where you were going to get a bonus based on this presentation. Your axle breaks and it's raining outside and there's thundering and lightning and there's a hurricane and then a tornado comes by and then there's a lion out there on 490 and you're freaking out and tall dark and handsome pulls up in his Ford F150 1978 pulls up hey what's going on what you got going there i broke my axle my car's a mess i got oh, i'm dying Well, hop in, I'll take you up to the road, and then next thing you know, a relationship starts. Three years later, they're married, they have kids. Wonderful Christian couple. God intervened. Things like that happen. Didn't know. Get going, and I'll show you. Get going. I love what John, what Jesus said in John chapter 3 as he was talking to Nicodemus. What did he say? He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And then he says this, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. If we're led by the Spirit, that means that we don't have, we we shouldn't really keep a, we can have our agendas, but be flexible. Because God wants to intervene at any given time. Are you willing, in your strict schedule, are you willing to let God intervene? Or is it something that is set and you will not budge? Believe me, if that is your life, you're going to be miserable. Let God intervene. He did it in Ruth's life. The late Warren Wiersbe said this, When we commit our lives to the Lord, what happens to us happens by way of appointment and not by accident. I love that. It's an appointment, and sometimes the things that are really annoying that are that uh that interrupt you are the things, the very things, the one thing maybe that day that God says, This is really what I wanted to do all day. And boy, you're angry, aren't you? <laughs> How dare you interrupt my life, Lord? The one thing that you everything was going great until God did this. And then he allows something to happen and it changes your life for the better. You would have never gotten there any other way but him intervening and breaking your axle along 490 in your car. There was no other way it could happen. But verse 4, it says, Now behold, Boaz, he came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Really? Wow, this time during the judges, he was a very different kind of man. There was something about Boaz that was very different. Number one, his grandmother, no, his mother, actually, was Rahab. She was a believer. I'm sure as Boaz is growing up, Rahab is telling, she's she's completely assimilated into the Jewish culture, into the faith of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and she's telling Boaz from an early age, they're looking at the Bible, whatever was written of it at that time, and they're looking at it, and so there's something different about him, he wasn't like the others, but notice how different the timbre of Boaz's life is with the prevailing spiritual decline of that period in the judges, when there was no king in Israel. Everyone did that was right within their own eyes. So in verse 5, then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So he immediately sees Ruth. And from a social perspective, you've got to understand Ruth was low on the ladder very low on the ladder. She had four things against her. Number one, she was a woman. Not that that's bad, but in that culture, it was very male-oriented. So she was a woman, she was poor, she was a widow, and she was a foreigner. Not only a foreigner, but she came from Moab. Hmm, I might have, might have said, you know, I'm from uh, you know, Albuquerque or something, you know. But Moab? So the servant, verse 6, who was in charge of the reapers, answered and said, it is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And certainly Boaz knew this because he knew his brother or his relative. I'm sorry, I don't know if it was his brother or not. He knew his relative Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons. He knew that they went down to to Moab. So he's thinking to himself, oh, so, okay, now he's putting all this together. And he's like, okay, okay. So it's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi. And she said, Naomi, or I'm sorry, Ruth said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. So this this, uh, overseer of the reapers, he gives this accurate report of who Ruth was, her character. And Ruth was a hard worker. She wasn't just looking for a handout, right? In fact, Paul said to the Thessalonians, he says, he says, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Notice it didn't say, if anyone cannot work. There's some people who cannot because of a disability. But if you can and you don't, neither should you eat, except in America. You can get on, you know, assistance and have your doctor make up something. Well, he's got issues. Okay, we'll just put him on permanent disability. But he can still move. He can still think. He can still do his thing. So then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close to my young women. So he sees Ruth, and I am sure he's, an old, he's much older than Ruth is. So he's looking at Ruth going, wow. Wow. I am sure she was a very attractive young lady. And there's nothing wrong with that. If our hearts are right. I first saw my wife, and I was attracted to her. It has to happen. There's something that attracted me. Right? And the more I got to know her, the more attractive she became. As I learned more about her. But initially, I was ensnared by her beauty. Right? And so... (laughs) And then I got to know her, and I loved her even more. And it grows every day, right? It's one of the wonderful things about being married, right? Thurmond. <laughs> Boaz said to her, "You will listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean another field, nor go from here, but stay close to my young women." And this again was God's providence that Boaz was actually there at that time and he noticed her and he spoke to her. Otherwise, she would have never have seen him. She would have never seen him. Verse nine, let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Notice that she wasn't just going uh, to go in and glean after the reapers, but she was now among them in the reaping. And notice Boaz's protection over her. Because she, he knew that she was a widow from Naomi, Naomi's daughter-in-law. That, she, that not, not only Naomi was a widow, but her daughter-in-law was a widow too. And, and Boaz, his heart is wide open. He sees this woman, and, and I'm sure she's beautiful. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to bless this lady. I'm going to bless this young lady. And in the process, I'm also going to bless Elimelech's wife. Elimelech's wife. So, verse 10 she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? She knew very well that she had four strikes against her. She was a woman. And that wasn't such a big thing. But the fact that she was a widow, the fact that she was poor, that, that she was a foreigner from Moab, of all places. And now he's being kind to her. He's really kind to her. He's doing what the Bible says. To, for men to do to strangers. And she was a stranger. Was he, was, he, was he entreating her and giving her food and helping her? Yes, he was. He was being very kind to her. But now that he finds out that he, she's a, a, um, related to a relative of his, now he's got a more of a vested interest. Notice how her reputation preceded uh, preceded her. In verse 11, Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and you've come to a people whom you did not know before. You know, and isn't it true? I mean, your reputation precedes you, for good or ill, hopefully for good. You know, Jesus says, you will know people by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? This is in Matthew 7, verse 15 through 20. He said, even so, every good tree bears good fruit. And did Ruth have good fruit growing on the tree, good works that were happening? Absolutely. She was a hard worker. She didn't um, expect anything. She knew that there were many things against her. So she's like, I'm just going to go and submit myself and be the lowest of the low. And you know what? The Lord loves a heart like that because now he can lift them up but when you're raised so high and you think you're something you have to be brought low don't you you can be brought in the middle but he loves people of low who have a low sense of self our culture would say well you've got low self-esteem that's not very good you need to take a pill you need to be on a pill every single day for the rest of your life because of your low self-esteem issue well, why don't they put people on a pill who've got high esteem issues? I really am all that. Did you guys see my Bugatti that I just bought? I bought it from a Saudi prince on eBay. Right? (laughs) Nobody cares. Why isn't there a pill for that guy? To lower him. Yes, a pill for that guy. Why isn't there a pill? No, you don't need a pill. It's sin. Whether you think low of yourself or you think high of yourself, either way, it's self-focus. It's all sin. It's, it's all about myself. Just two opposite ends of the pendulum. Notice how this whole thing just breaks down prejudices and bigotry and racism. You know, uh, Boaz could have been very much in his right to say, Are you kidding me? You're in my field. You're from Moab. You're a, a widow. Now we've got to take another mouth to feed. Are you serious? I'm sorry, lady, but you really got to go. Sounds like something would happen in New York City. Hey, hit the road, lady. I ain't got time for you. Right? That's what they would say downtown. But no, Boaz, he sees her and he's like, this is exactly the recipe for God's grace to be exhibited in his life toward Ruth. I love this. He breaks down all the stereotypes, all the prejudices and the bigotry that is very common in, in any culture. It's in the Bible, too, racism. God doesn't condone it. He never did, never does. But Jesus broke down all those stereotypes. He went to Samaria, to a woman, to a people that were considered half-breeds, low-lifes. He went right through He went from Judah right through Samaria up to to Galilee. A good Jewish person wouldn't go through Samaria because those are the people who mingled themselves with the Gentiles. So what they would do is they would go from from Judah, they would go on the other side, on the east side of the Jordan River, skip that whole area altogether, and then cross over at the top and avoid that people group. Right. So Boaz is blowing the doors off all that stuff. We should blow the doors off of all that stuff, right? We should do the same. And, and it says there, and you've come to a people at the end of verse 11 there, you've come to a people who you did not know. Again, same thing happened to Abram, right? What did God say to Abram in Genesis 12? The Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land I will show you. I'll make of you a great nation. Bless you, make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Now get going. I don't know where I'm going. I'll tell you when you go. As you go, go. And so he goes. He goes. And notice what Boaz tells her. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel. Under whose wings you have come for refuge. And I love this because within this prayer of Boaz, what we see is prophecy that would be fulfilled. And little did Boaz know that he would be the man who would be fulfilling that prophecy, part of it anyway. You know, because not only would Ruth and Naomi be taken care of and their hopes restored for the present and the future, but God would allow Ruth to be not only the great-grandmother of King David, but also in the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. What a great privilege. Any Jewish woman would be honored to be in the lineage of Jesus. And yet, in Matthew's Gospel, we see five different women, or, you know, four of them were... were um, we were not Jewish. Or, or they, they were, um, they, they had um, questionable women, I should say that, okay? And yet God is a God of grace. He loves to break down legalism. He likes to break down stereotypes. He likes to crack open political correctness. He likes to kick it down the road because God is not politically correct. He never has been, he never will be, and he will never submit to a culture that says, well, this is the way we do it. This is how we got to do it. He says, you can do what you like. I'm God, and I'm fair, and I'm just, and I will do the right thing whether you like it or not. (laughs) I like that. Who's going to topple him? Verse 12, the Lord repay your work. And notice at the end, he says, under whose wings you have come for refuge. And that's exactly what Ruth had come. She had come under the the umbrella, really, of Jehovah God as she gave her heart at some point to God. She put her faith in God, just like Rahab did, just like Boaz's mother. You know, Ruth gave her heart to God, gave her heart to Christ. And then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and you've spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. And I I love the humility again of Ruth here. You know, in Matthew it says, but he who is the greatest among you shall be your servant and whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. And this is exactly a great place that Ruth was. It's a great place for you and I to be, to always be Below and be asked and be brought up rather than thinking more highly of myself. Well, I should sit there. And God's (laughs) has it ever happened to you when you've gone into somebody's house and the table is set and it's a long square, you know, rectangle table, and you decide, Well, I'm going to sit at the end of the table. You didn't have any idea that not only the husband, but maybe the uncle was there too. And it was really their spot to sit there. And there you are in all your pride sitting there, you know, waiting for dessert. And the host comes by and just whispers in your ear, oh, "My brother or my my uncle, he needs to sit there." And then everybody's watching as you get up. <laughs> and you go and you sit down at the at the lowest spot, humble pie. That's what dessert you got. You got humble pie. But it reminds me also of the attitude of the prodigal son, right? Remember when he left? full of himself, full of money now that he got this inheritance. And what did he say when he finally came back? He says, but he, when he finally came to himself, he says, how many of my father's hired servants had bread enough and to spare? I will perish with hunger. I know what I'll do. I'll arise and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants, willing to be now at the bottom. And, and this father, certainly his heart broke, and he, you know, he responded just the opposite put the robe on him, put the, you know, the ring on his finger, slayed the fatted calf, had a big meal, complete with breadsticks, Italian breadsticks. And they had a, a wonderful meal together. It's good for us to be humble. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Peter said, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And that's exactly what Ruth did. She humbled herself. Such a good place. And Jesus was the supreme model of humility. The supreme model. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was the epitome of humility. God Almighty in the flesh, going through what he went through, subjecting himself even to baptism when he was perfect and he didn't need to be baptized. John even said to him, I have need to be baptized of you. What are you doing? Want me to pour water over your head? you got to be kidding me. John, we have to do this. We have to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Just do it. And he was obedient. Notice verse 14. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So he sat, uh, So she sat beside the reapers and he passed the parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. Why did she keep some back? She was already full, so she keeps some back. Who is she thinking about? Naomi. She's thinking to herself, I'm at this dinner table. You've got to be kidding. I, I shouldn't even be here. And now my tummy's full, and I'm thinking about my, my mother in law back at home. So she takes some for herself and brings it back to her. And I love that. Jesus did the same thing, he ate with sinners. Verse 15, and when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, notice, he knows men, doesn't he? So one thing about being a guy is I know what guys think, and I know how guys are. I don't know how women think. I'm still figuring that out. I, you know, I'm almost, we're almost 24 years into this, and um, I'm still learning, and I'm still trying to figure this out. I'm still trying to figure my wife out. She's wonderful. That's why it takes me so long, because she's so complex, right? Wonderfully complex. Wonderfully com- Did everybody hear that? Wonderfully complex complex. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. We're pretty simple really, just feed us and give us a nap. But <laughs> so, but notice Boaz knows these young men and he commands the young men saying, "Let her glean among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her." So he's stacking the deck for her. He's looking at her, and he's falling in love with her. This is such a wonderful story. And it's not a story. I mean, it is that, but it's history. It's history. And he's, he's, he's loving. He's doing the right thing, but he's also finding in the middle of this whole thing his heart just being completely taken over by her. And it's such a wonderful thing. Isn't that? Guys, remember that when you first were courting your wives? Don't ever lose that. You know, even now, do, do something spontaneous. Do something fun. Bring home flowers that you haven't done in a long time. Take her out to dinner. Do something that's really nice. Give her uh, a foot massage. Give her ice cream while you're giving her the foot massage. (laughs) Do those things. Believe me, her eyes are going to light up. Believe me, everybody benefits. So just do that. It's a decision. So do it. Tonight, okay, when you leave here, do it. But notice that Boaz... He's protecting her. And he says, And also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. And so, you know, that's exactly what has happened. You know, have you ever gone without? Isn't that what our model prayer is? Give us this day our daily bread. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Has anybody gone without food in this room? For any length of time, really? I mean you, you, I mean, you may have, it may have been purpose. maybe you were fasting, but has God always provided for you? Even as an unbeliever, I've never gone a day without food purposely, or, you know, um, um, I, I've never gone without unless I wanted to go without for some reason, even as an unbeliever. So she gleaned, verse 17, in the field until evening, and she beat out what she had gleaned. So she, she beat out the grain, and it was about an ephah of barley. This was enough food for many days, not only for her, but for Naomi as well. And it's interesting that while Boaz was providing for Ruth and commanding his young men and young women to do these things, he was also providing for Naomi's uh, for, for, um, for Naomi as well. And isn't God good? I love that phrase, God is good all the time and all the time. God is good, right? Verse eighteen. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out, uh, so she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. In other words, that leftover that she had for lunch, she brings it back to her mother-in-law. And I, and I love this. It's just so graphic. I mean, can you see the whole picture? And you know, as you read through this, read it like that. Put yourself in the picture, in the in the frame, if you will. And, and picture yourself being Naomi, being the disgruntled sort of Eeyore kind of, you know, black cloud kind of over my head, woe is me. And then Ruth comes in and, you know, their, their hopes are, are not dashed after all things are working out now. And you're going to see Naomi in just a few moments just light right up and begin to come out of her um, her black flower. Her black Venus flytrap is going to open up and a flower is going to come out and it's going to be beautiful. You're going to see it right before your eyes. So then she took it up, and, she, um, and what she had kept back after she had been satisfied, she gives to her to Naomi, verse 19. And her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today? Because at that point, Naomi didn't know. And where did you work, she said. And blessed be the one who took notice of you. Notice, the first time she said blessed in the whole entire book. First time. Something's happening. Her heart is starting to warm up a little bit. Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she took her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today was Boaz. And Naomi is going, the light bulb is going off. Are you serious? Boaz? You mean that rich guy? Are you serious? Prime rib tonight, baby right? I mean, I'm sure she wasn't like that, but I'm sure she smiled inside because she knew that he was a wealthy relative. But he chose, Boaz chose. Again, they were just in the right place at the right time. God is such a God of grace. Even when we make mistakes, he still blesses us even after the fact. I, don't, I can't figure it out why he does that. It's just that he's so good. He's just so good. Even when I make my mistakes, even when you make your mistakes, is he able to take and turn those things around and bless you nonetheless? Especially when your heart is broken and you're like, Lord, I'm so sorry for what I've done in my past. Will you forgive me? He's like, oh, I forgive you. Not only do I forgive you, but I want to bless you. I want to show you off. I'm going to bless you so much that people are going to be looking at you and jealous because they thought that you were, that I was just going to come down like some kind of heavy hammer and smash you into pieces and now you're getting blessed. And now your heart is turning toward me. Miracle of miracles. <laughs> I almost wanted to go into that uh, fiddler on the roof thing. Miracle, remember that? Miracle of miracles? That, never mind. Anyway. So, and notice verse 20. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law again, notice, blessed be he of the Lord. Blessed be he of Jehovah. Now she's really coming out of her Venus flytrap and a rose is coming out and blooming in full color. You know like those ones at Wegmans when they dip it in those different colors and all the petals are different colors? This is Naomi right now. She's slowly coming out of her Venus flytrap. You know, and all of a sudden now the thing's just opening up and all of a sudden God's going, open up, open up, I got a flower in there. I want to, and then he pushes up the flower. and Look at that. How beautiful is that? So Naomi she says, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and to the dead. Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. And we'll look at why this is a big deal next week, because he's a kinsman redeemer. He's the next male in line who has the right to redeem not only property, but the right to redeem and go and, and um, raise up seed for the uh, husband that uh, had married her before that where they didn't have any children. He has that ability Actually, there's one closer to him, and we'll find out the the drama that ensues there. That's kind of fun. But um, notice that she begins to wake up. And sometimes, you know, when people are down and out, they get so discouraged that they even begin to despair of life. But isn't it true that things always get better? They always do. At the end of, um, on the the corner of Five Mile Line and uh, Atlantic, there's a field there. And right in the middle of the field, there's a little sign that says, it's going to get better. Some lady, I remember seeing here, they're tending to it one day when I just happened to be driving by. Two women were there and they were fixing it up and changing the sign. And I thought to myself, you know, that's really sweet. You know, and all the discouragement that our country and we are all going through, they thought about to do something positive and let people know, hey, it's gonna, it is going to get better. And it is true. It is true. And that's why, you know, even right now, you know, in Psalm 30, verse 5, it says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And let me tell you, folks, tonight down in Texas and Louisiana, Hurricane Laura just came through as a Category 4 and blasted through that. And a lot of people without electricity, a lot of really unhappy people. And many of them right now are thinking to themselves, you know what, the coronavirus was one thing. That ruined my job. It ruined everything. And now I don't have any, you know, everything is lost. And now this. And they're thinking to themselves, there's people right now thinking, you know what, I just wish this was just over. My life was over. I've I've had enough. And Naomi was like that. But it gets better. It always gets better. And so tonight, pray for those people in Texas and Louisiana. They got hit hard. And um, keep them in prayer. Verse 21, Ruth the Moabitess said, he also said to me, Naomi, you shall stay close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And I love Naomi here. Notice that, um, because remember, Boaz told the young men to leave her alone. And believe me, They're getting a paycheck from Boaz, and life is good. So when he says, I don't even want you looking at Ruth, those men are going to be looking at the sheaves. They're going to be looking at the grain. They're not going to be looking at her. They're going to leave her alone. They're going to do exactly what Boaz says. And so he does that. But notice, Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in another field. In other words, she has an understanding of what could happen, how things could be messed up here. Is there an attractive young man you know, next to you, you know, pulling the sheaves and doing all this stuff? And Boaz told those guys not to leave her alone. And so you know, she's not really of the type to seek out anybody. She's just a servant. Her heart is so wonderfully touched, so blessed by grace. She doesn't even think of it of a pursuing another younger man, because Boaz was older than she was. Don't know how much older. So notice what she did. And I love this. Verse 23, will end here. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz. Boaz said, stay by my young men, because they're, they're going to protect you, and they're going to leave you alone. I've told them. I, tr- I know them, and they'll tr- they trust me, and I trust them. Naomi says, well, why don't you make sure you go with the women So, you know what Ruth does? She goes with the women. And you know what that probably says to Boaz as well? So not only is she obedient to her mother-in-law, Naomi, but she's also protecting something. Do you know what that is? I I just thought of this today, and I'm just going to offer it for what it is. She's giving Boaz no reason to think that her intentions aren't pure and right. She could go with the men, and they were instructed to do such and such. She didn't even allow the possibility of something happening that might hurt this relationship because certainly she knew that Boaz had an interest in her and she had an interest in him. And she wasn't going to do anything to jeopardize it. She wasn't going to do anything that might cause jealousy, a potential jealousy. And I wonder how many relationships today would be so different have you been? Have you known people like that? Even married people, sometimes they, they get into these places where they, they make the other spouse feel jealous. Just to, I don't know. Just to, I don't know what, why they do that, but they'll do it just to touch their button. You know, just to push their button somehow. Why do we do that? Why do people do that? Why do people make other people jealous when you're supposed to be friends? You're supposed to be lovers, especially if you're married, right? Why do you push buttons? Why not bless your spouse, love on them, do everything possible to please them and to remove any, any possibility of wrongdoing, even the, even the appearance of evil. What does it say in the Bible? Flee all appearances of evil. You know what that means? That means you have to walk circumspectly, doesn't it? It means you have, when you walk, you can't just walk willy-nilly. No, everything you do in life, if it's going to be effective for God and his kingdom, it has to be deliberate. The things that I find in my life that are worthless are the things that I'm not thinking about. I just do them because here I am and I do this. And I don't really give much thought to it. But the real important things in life are things that I deliberately do. I, there's, there's, I, there's a purpose. I, I, I don't just, I've, I've already anticipated and thought about what I'm going to do and I do it. We need to be that way. I mean, it's intense if you live your life like that, but wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I want to be that deliberate in the things that I do. I don't want to just be having idle time and just, I'll see what's on the tube, you know. Be deliberate with your time. Why don't you do something? Why don't you go mow the grass that your wife has been telling you for four days to mow? (laughs) Why don't you go pick flowers for her? And when she comes home from work, with your idle time, you've got this beautiful... Patch of poison ivy? No, I'm just kidding. You got this beautiful bouquet of flowers, autumn flowers, reds and purples and yellows. And you meet her at the door with the ice cream, with the little stool and the chair, and you already have the pail, of the little thing of water to wash your feet. Okay, guys. So here's the deal. Tonight, you got to do something to bless your spouse. I don't care what it is. Do something that's really going to bless them. And then don't tell me about it until tomorrow. You don't have to tell me at all, actually. But um, let's stand. (laughs) Bless each other. Bless each other. Father, we thank you for this time. Pray that you bless us tonight, Lord. Help us to be uh, Lord-like Ruth, Lord, demonstrating fruit, Lord, under righteousness, Lord, to live our lives deliberately. And, Lord, thank you for the uh, exhortations, the things that we're learning through this short book. But, Lord, the, the real uh, great stuff is going to happen next week as we look at this uh, kinsman redeemer, Lord, and we see uh, who ultimately is born of, of Ruth and her lineage, which we already know. But, Father, we thank you for the joy of, of it. And so just get us home safely tonight, Lord. Protect us uh, tonight, Lord heal our bodies. And Father, for those that we prayed for earlier, Lord, that are hurting, Lord, how we pray that you would just do something really special for them tonight, for Benita, Lord, for Bonnie, um, Lord, for uh, Henrietta's uh, stepfather, Lord, and many others, Lord. So we ask that you just bless them in your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. 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 God bless.